Good job, praise team. Thank you very much. Today our scripture reading is going to come out of the Gospel of Matthew. We're actually going to pick up at the tail end of the ninth chapter and read into a little bit of the tenth chapter together. So I invite you to turn over with me to Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 37. And if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, you'll find a Bible in the pew in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. Then he, and the he here is Jesus. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into his harvest field. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And then the scriptures name the twelve. And then in verse five, we pick up these twelve sent Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. It's the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As you are, we do have Kingdom Kids today. Kingdom Kids is our ministry for kiddos four years old through second grade. Gives them the chance to worship and learn at their level. And uh, as you can see, the herd heading this way. This is where they can go, right over here with our Kingdom Kids workers. They'll be right next door in our Christian Life Center, which is a metal building right behind the sanctuary here on the upstairs floor. So parents, uh, if you've never had your kiddos at Kingdom Kids, feel free to take them over there, get them registered, and make sure to pick them up after church today. All right? Okay. And that way. As they go, uh, let me just mention real quickly that what we're doing on Sunday mornings as it pertains to the sermons is I'm preaching through our reading plan. Together as a church, we started a reading plan on the 1st of January, and I'm picking something in the previous week's reading to preach over. And so if you are following along, you heard the scripture reading came out of one of your scripture readings for this past week. And if you want to get in on that, I want to invite you to grab the reading plan. It looks like this. You can find them in the back. Inside is a set of prayer cards and instructions on how to utilize those. The prayer cards, uh, I preached a sermon on this just a few weeks ago, talking about the importance of prayer in the life of Jesus and how prayer is essential to our lives as Christians. Uh, You can go back to our website, fbckennedy.org. Click on the sermons tab and listen to that sermon. And I walk through uh, these prayer cards. But there is instructions in the Bible reading plan on the very first page. It will explain to you the prayer cards. Um, But I want to encourage you to do that. And on the back side of the prayer cards descriptions is journaling. And journaling can be a pretty powerful tool. And uh, I've got some explanation there uh, in here on how I do journaling. Maybe you do journaling. uh, Maybe you don't. Uh, I know from, I call it journaling so that there's a chance, fellas, that you may do it. Because if I called it keeping a diary, you probably would not. Let's be honest, okay? So it's journaling, but it has a very specific intention, which is to pay attention to what God is doing in your life. And even pay attention to those 
those portions of your life where you feel like he's not doing anything. Where is he? He's not showing up. I don't hear from him. Uh, that's not an unspiritual thing to say. If you've ever read the Psalms, and if you're following in the reading plan, you've been reading the Psalms, because we add to a New Testament reading, a reading out of Psalms and a reading out of Proverbs, uh, then you will see that recorded for God's people are prayers or songs. That's what this book of Psalms is. It's prayers or songs. Both They're kind of the same thing, because you're talking to God, right? Uh, you'll find in there people who are willing to say, God, where are you? I don't hear from you. What's going on? And you'll hear people saying, God, you showed up. I had victory. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, God. So you have a whole gambit of uh, experiences that people are writing about. And I think that's kind of an example for us to also be thoughtful about what God is doing in our lives and where we're struggling, sensing that he's doing anything. And journaling can be a helpful way to do that. And so you can just take a, take a piece of paper, just jot down. I do this in the morning, so I journal for the previous day. So I'll write about what happened yesterday. I'll put the date at the top, and I'll just write yesterday. And then I'll just... Free flow of thoughts, things that happened yesterday. Eventually, it'll lead to something that I'm thankful for God about. Something I saw in the life of my kids or something in the ministry of the church. Something that took place. I'm thanking God for that. Eventually, I'll come across something in there where I blew it and made a mistake. God, forgive me. Help me to do better in this area of my life. I'm just writing those things down. And, you, you know, some days it's just a paragraph. Some days it's a few paragraphs. If you've never done it before, don't put any pressure on yourself. Just start, jot down a few things. Where did you sense God being present in your life? Where do you wish he was present, but you didn't feel him present with you? Now, of course, we know biblically he's always there. But sometimes we feel him there and sometimes we don't, right? So you just jot some of that stuff down. And then I go into my scripture reading, which will, which will uh, often enough, it will spark some thoughts in my mind. And I will write down something I read about the scriptures. I'll, often I'll write down the actual scripture that stood out to me or even a word from the scripture reading. I'll jot that down. I'll write a, a sentence or two, thoughts about that may convict me, may encourage me, something about that scripture reading. And out of all the readings, I may just write down one sentence or one word, but I'm just paying attention to God's word. I'm responding to that. Um, and then, like I said, throughout, I'm jotting down prayer. God, help me. I need you, Lord. Forgive me. Thank you for, thank you for your help in this area. And so I'm just including the prayers as I journal. But there's a, a simple little description of journaling. I've kind of outlined some of it here. Just wanted to share with you. But that's one of the things I wanted to do this year is, is include uh, not only the scripture reading, but a prayer component and a journaling component uh, as a way to say, hey, if you've never done any of this, just start with the scripture reading. And maybe this is the first time you're hearing about it or you're tuning into it or you're, you're interested in doing the scripture reading. My encouragement to you is a five-day-a-week a scripture reading plan. Okay, so you get the weekends off. Just start with uh, tomorrow's scripture reading. Just, it's dated, so you can easily find in there uh, what tomorrow is. What is tomorrow? The 13th? Monday? Uh, February, Monday the 13th? Just pick up there and begin to read. And then the weekends are a chance to get caught up. Um, or if you use the Bible app and you're out and about, actually listening to the Bible is a really easy way to get caught up. And so that's something you can check out. And one of the things you'll find in the Bible reading plan is we're going through the Gospels, which is... Uh, accounts of Jesus's life, his ministry, uh, his death and resurrection. That's what you'll find in the gospel accounts. And the gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And what you'll find in the reading plan is we are reading through those harmoniously, meaning we're reading through them um, as, as one story shows up in Matthew and Mark, we'll read the story in both accounts. 
Or sometimes there's a lot of stories that are just in John because it kind of stands alone as, as, a, uh, um, as a different look at Jesus' life that, the, that the, uh, one of the apostles, uh, John, wrote about Jesus' life from a different angle. So it may just be a reading from John. But you get, you get, sometimes you get multiple stories uh, in, in multiple accounts. And um, Jesus sending out the 12 is one of those accounts. Uh, the 12 is Jesus' 12 disciples. They weren't the only disciples, but they became known as the 12 apostles. And that word apostle, that title, meant someone who was sent out with a task in mind. And last week, if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to, again, go listen to that sermon last week. Because last week we talked about Jesus' own description of what he is doing. He said, I am a seed sower. And I'm out there spreading the good news. I'm letting people know the kingdom of God is here. You have a chance to turn away from the life you're living and turn towards what Jesus would call the full life in John 10.10. Come my way. I've got a full life for you. Turn from the way you're going. Come my way. That's the word for that in the Bible is repentance. And Jesus would say that. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. God's kingdom is where God's will is done. Jesus saying, I am God in the flesh, and I'm here to do the will of my Father. This is his kingdom. Enter into his kingdom, and let's head in the direction of God. And so he would say, I'm out there, I'm sowing this seed of good news that you get to be a part of this. By the sheer grace of God, you get invited in on this. You don't deserve it. You couldn't earn a place in the kingdom of God. But I am purchasing for you a place in the kingdom of God. Come with me. We've got work to do. And he lets us know that sometimes that seed that we sow when we tell people about Jesus or we're just living our life and we're sharing Jesus through our words and our actions, that sometimes people are going to hear that and they're going to receive it. And that's going to get embedded in their life. And they're going to grow. And what's going to happen is they're, going to, they're not only going, going to grow in their faith, but they're going to begin to share that faith with others. And other people are going to hear the good news. And they're going to receive it. And they're going to grow. And that's how we got here, Christians. That's how, that's how we arrived here. Was Jesus left 12 disciples behind, 12 apostles, and many other disciples in reality? And, and that's what they did. They shared. They discipled. They let people know who Jesus is, what he was about. And that went from first century, uh, you know, from somewhere around 20 to 30 A.D., all the way up to the present time. Somewhere over in the Middle East in Israel, all the way here to Kennedy, Texas, is that people receive the good news lived the good news, bore fruit with the good news, shared that good news with others. And yes, some people heard it and rejected it. Jesus said that's going to happen. But some will hear it. And that good news will get embedded in their life, like a seed getting planted in the ground. And that seed is going to sprout up, and it's going to bear fruit, and others are going to be blessed by it. So that's what we see happening. And then Jesus, Jesus tells his disciples, now go and do that. Now, now get to it, right? This is how it's working. I'm, I'm a seed sower. You're my disciples, which means a learner. So you're learning from me how to go and sow that seed, how to go and share the good news of Jesus. And then he sends his 12 out and he says, now go. Go do that. Uh, and he says, this good news you have received freely at no cost to you. By the sheer grace of God, he's let you in on this good news and so in Matthew 10, 8, the second part of that verse, he says, you have received this freely, therefore freely give this good news to others. Freely you have received, freely you should give. So we hear that as Christians, we say, okay, 
we have received far more than we could ever deserve. We have received the news that in Jesus we have forgiveness. We have received the news that in Jesus our, our punishment for our sins has been taken on by him at the cross. We have received from Jesus that because that is so, not only do we have his righteous record, but our sins are forgiven. And we have eternity as our home. We have heaven ahead of us. Our darkest days on earth are no comparison to your worst days in heaven. Now, I don't think you really have worst days in heaven. I think they're all going to be great. But that's the point. Is that we get to be in the presence of God forever. Where sin will reign no more. Revelation 21, 22 talks about that. That we have been freely given the best news that we could ever hear. And that news has transformed our lives. Therefore, Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to take that good news. And I want you to go share it with others. And so Jesus sends out the 12 and he says, listen, uh, I want you to go to the lost sheep of Israel is what he says. He says, there's a starting point for you. And it's the people you know and love. It's the people you care about. It's the people in your family. It's the people you go to synagogue with. It's your relatives. It's those in, within your sphere of influence. I want you to start here. Now, we should not misunderstand that Jesus is saying this good news is only for the Jews. He's not at all saying that. He's saying that's where I want you 12 disciples to start. This description in the Bible is not a prescription for us. This is not our, our takeaway, okay? Later on in Acts 1.8, Jesus would say, listen, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he's not just saying, look, this good news I came to give is just for us Jews. He's saying, this is where I want you to start. I want you to start with the people around you. So what I want to look at is his instructions to the disciples. I want you to be thinking about this as a way of Jesus instructing you to take the good news that you have received to the people you know and love, to the people you work next to, to the people you live next to, to the people on whose sports team you're on and whose desk clump you share. That's, that's your little corner of the world that Jesus is calling you to bear witness, where he is calling you to sow seed, right? So if you keep that in mind, I think there's, four, there's at least four. Actually, I wrote down a whole lot more and I thought... We, we ain't got time for that, all right? Y'all, y'all are not going to listen to me that long. So, I, and I totally understand that. I wouldn't want to listen to me that long either. So, I, I tried my best to narrow down to four uh, significant uh, things that we can take from the instructions of Jesus. And though I only read a portion of Matthew chapter ten, we're going to go all the way through the end of the chapter, looking at four things. That I think we can pay attention to as we go and sow that seed of the good news. As we share Jesus with those nearest to us. Four things, four takeaways that I think will be helpful to us. The first one is this. Is that we are to minister to the physical and spiritual needs of those who do, who do not know Jesus. In Matthew 10 chapter Chapter 10, verse 1, we read it. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave the authority to drive out impure spirits, heal every disease and sickness. Something like that is repeated in verse 8 of chapter 10 where he says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Now, I thought about that, and, uh, you know, it's kind of a big question. Is, is that part of our job description today? Should we be, should we be driving out demons? Uh, if you have children, amen, right? I mean, sometimes. Sometimes, in the name of Jesus, you know what I mean? Uh, 
Are, are we to heal the sick? Are we to raise the dead? I don't know, to be honest with you. I think if Jesus said, should we pray for people who are sick? Yes. Uh, should, should we pray for those who are dealing with, with illnesses? I think that we should, absolutely. Uh, if someone's dead, should we pray for them to come back to life? That's, that's a bit of a strange one for me. I'll, I'll admit that. One, if they're a Christian and they're in a better place, and if I were them, I would say, don't pray me back, please. I'm where I want to be, right? I, I don't know the complete answer to this, but I think the takeaway here is that Jesus is saying, I'm sending you to meet their spiritual needs and physical needs. Then in some way, not all their needs, but in some way, I want you to meet something of their spiritual and physical need. You see the demon possession and, and you see the illnesses, spiritual, physical. You follow me? Does that make sense? Okay. So as you're looking for spiritual and physical needs that you can meet, here's, here's the thing though. Is that Jesus did this. This was his ministry, right? We talked about this last week. That, that Jesus' two great ministries was a preaching, teaching ministry and a healing miracles ministry. And those two great ministries that God, had, that God the Father had given him in the world, the reason he had those ministries was so that he could draw people to him. That's one of the reasons. The other reason is to say, when the kingdom of God comes, here's what it looks like. The lame can walk, the dead rise, right? Those who are demon-possessed, the demons are cast out, they are healed. Jesus is saying when the kingdom of God arrives, this is what it looks like. Now Jesus left and the kingdom of God is building until one day he comes again and sets up his kingdom here on earth. That's what we believe as Christians, okay? And so what he's saying and what we need to hear is that these are not ways to prop up ourselves. If I can meet someone's physical need... So I can see someone needs help and, and, I, and I get them some help. The reason isn't so I look good, right? That's not the intention. That's not the purpose. And so that, so that in their eyes, my esteem rises. That's not why I'm meeting their physical need. When someone needs prayer and I pray with them, it's not so that they can hear a beautiful and eloquent prayer with big and fancy words and they can be so impressed with me. The whole intention of Jesus' ministry for preaching and teaching and Jesus' ministry for healing and miracles is the same for us. As we share God's word and help meet physical and spiritual needs, the intention is to point people to God. That's always the purpose. That's always the intention is to point people to Jesus. And if we can do that through meeting a spiritual need, we can do that through meeting a physical need. That's the end goal is to point them to Jesus. That's the first thing. The second thing that you see in this passage is that Jesus says you've got to be willing to work with the willing. Now this is tough because we talked about this last week. That you and I know people that we love that are far from God. That do not believe. Who have serious doubts. And that, is, that can be heartbreaking, can it? To have someone you know and love and know that they are just so resistant to Jesus. But the reality is, is that it's their call. You cannot force them into the kingdom of God. You cannot make them receive Jesus. You cannot make them believe. You can't do it. They have to make that choice themselves as the Holy Spirit speaks to their heart. And I believe the Holy Spirit gives everyone a chance to hear and respond. But Jesus says, you're casting that seed. Some of that seed is going to land on fertile ground. Some of it is not. 
he repeats the same kind of idea in these instructions to the twelve. He says he's saying essentially look for open doors, look for people who are interested, and share the good news with them. Look, look with me at Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 11. He says, whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person. Now, worthy person, he means, by that, I think he means search for someone who is willing to listen, who's interested, who will give you a hearing. Look for the willing. Stay in their houses until you leave. As you enter their home, give it your greeting or blessing. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town. Shake the dust off your feet. Someone who is worthy is someone who wants to hear the good news. If I could just encourage you, some of you are very evangelistic. And that is a spiritual gift God has given you. And I think that's awesome. I don't have the gift of evangelism. It doesn't mean it's not my job to share the good news. It just means I don't have the particular skill and ability that some people have. That's a spiritual gift God gives some. And if you have that gift, and even if you don't, just understand that beating somebody over the head with the truth of God's word is not going to be helpful. Right? Jesus says, share the good news with those who are worthy. And by worthy, he means, I believe, those who are willing. A worthy person to hear the good news is a person who wants to hear the good news. And if you find out as you're sharing the good news that they don't want to hear it, it does nothing for your cause to continue to press. In fact, Jesus says, look, if, if you've got a whole group of people that don't want to hear it, uh, do, uh, shake the dust off your feet, out of your clothes. That was a s- symbolic way of saying, okay, I've done my job. It's with you. You know, I'm out. It's your call now, right? And that's something I think that's helpful for us to remember as we're sowing seed. It's going to hit some hard ground. And it's not our job to try to go till up that ground. It's our job to cast the seed. Because one day that hard ground may become soft soil may become receptive, and they may recall what you said. You don't want them to recall you with kind of a bitter memory in their mind because of the harshness of the tone or your rhetoric or, or, or the words you used and, and maybe a judgy attitude. None of that's going to help soften that soil. Work with those who are willing. Pay attention to those who are interested. Share the good news with them. And if they're not, you know, just back off. Let them know you're open and willing to talk about it, but give them space to think and process and even to reject what you have to share because pressing is not going to help. The third thing kind of goes along with this a little bit, but we should expect that as we are seed sowers out in the world, as we are representatives of Jesus out in the world, as we are there to share the good news of Jesus, that there will be opposition. Believe it or not, not everybody likes to be told they're sinners. I'm not even crazy about it. I know it's true. I absolutely know it's true. But it's not really a fun thing to hear, right? That's not part of our greeting. Hey, how are you, sinner? Good to see you today. You know, we don't do that. You know, it's not a very kind thing. It hurts a little bit, right? Uh, So we don't have a popular message in that we have to say, you know, there's bad news here. We're sinners. We're broken. We're in need of help. What people would like to hear is you're good. No problem. You're doing awesome. You're great. You're wonderful. You're the best I've ever seen. That's what we want to hear. And we want to hear, well, maybe you got some things to iron out, but you can handle it. I believe in you. You can fix this problem. But we have to say two things that people don't like to hear. You're a sinner and you're hopeless. We don't want to hear that. Now, if you know you're a sinner, you know you're hopeless. 
you probably tried not to sin and found out how hard it is, right? Can I get an amen on that? Anybody ever tried that? Yeah, okay, that was one of the best amens I've ever heard us give. Come on. We know this, right? And then we have to say a third thing that's pretty hard to say, which is that I know there's a lot of religions in the world, but can I tell you about Jesus? He's the only way. And now I'm not saying that as someone who wants to be elite, who's got it all figured out. I'm literally just saying what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we have to say, in a sense, what I believe is pretty narrow. Now, we don't like that word. But again, this is the words of Jesus. That there is a narrow road. The broad road or the wide road leads to death and destruction, hell. But there is a narrow road, and that road is Jesus. We, we have to, this is part of it. If people don't understand there's bad news, they don't understand how good the good news is. If they don't understand how great of a sinner they are, they will not understand how great a savior we have in Jesus. So we have to say these things. And we should expect that by saying these things, we're probably going to run into some opposition. There's going to be some people who don't like to hear that. And we can be jerks about it, or we can just understand, well, that's just part of it. I'm not going to hate somebody. I'm not going to be rude to somebody. I'm not going to look down on somebody because they don't want to hear what I have to say. And maybe have some unkind things to say about me. That's how they treated Jesus. What should I expect? If we are going to be followers of Jesus and they crucified Jesus, we should expect that there's going to be at least some persecution or opposition coming our way when we follow in his footsteps. And we need to be okay with that. And let me tell you, Christians, we're not okay with that. In our nation, we think everybody should think like us and act like us and be like us. And we can't stand it when they don't. Give that up. All right. Your goal isn't to get everybody on your team. Your goal is to point everybody to Jesus. And some people are going to see it. And some people are going to want it. And some people aren't. And that's their call. But we should expect that opposition is going to come our way. Okay. I said way too much because uh, I should just let the truth of the God's word speak for all of this. So let me do that now. Okay. First of all, Jesus says this in Matthew 10, 22. Look at the first part of Matthew 10, verse 22. He says very bluntly, you will be hated by everyone because of me. Now, does the, the Bible uses hyperbole sometimes to make a point. He, he doesn't literally mean everyone. You'll find this in scripture. Hyperbole is used as a way to make a bigger point, which is to say there is a broad road. There is many who will not receive you because they did not receive me. Look at verse 34. He says, Do not suppose I've come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. That's a pretty rough saying of Jesus, but what does he say? What, what, what is the message behind that? The message behind that isn't, I've come to affirm everyone where they are and everything's fine and there are no problems. He said, No, I came to deliver a hard truth, and some will accept it, and some will not. I did not come to make everybody comfortable on their way to hell. I came to tell them truth that could save them. And some are going to be on board with that. And some are not. And so it will be with us. Now he says there's two groups that are going to bring opposition. The world around us and the family near us. There is going, we should expect opposition. This is the third point. Jesus says we should expect opposition from the world around us. We should expect opposition from the family near us. Look at verse 16 of Matthew 10. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. 
Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Now, Jesus and his disciples, they did not encounter this until after Jesus' death and resurrection. And then as far as we know, most likely, all but one disciple, our apostle, all but one of the, well, Judas killed himself, so all but two, uh, and then the other, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, most likely died uh, of, of natural causes late in life. All the other ten died a martyr's death. In other words, they were killed for their faith. That's what church history tells us. We don't, we don't get that sneak peek in the Bible because the Bible ends before their death. But that is what church history tells us, is that all but those two, Judas and John, all died a martyr's death. They experienced these things eventually, and Jesus is preparing them. And we are increasingly living in a world and in a culture that is not going to affirm the things that we believe to be true based on what we read in Scripture. And we can bend our knee to the culture and get along with them and just say, well, we're, we're with you. We, we believe what you believe, and we'll bend Scripture to do it. Why? In order to avoid persecution? If we try to avoid the persecution from the world, what we're trying to avoid is to be like Jesus. That's what we're trying to avoid. And that itself should be avoided. We should avoid trying to, be avoid, trying to avoid being like Jesus. We should expect that there is going to come some persecution. Jesus says you should expect it. But he also says in verse 26, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. What, I, what I've told you in secret, I'm expecting you to shout it from the rooftops, which is something they literally did. They get on rooftops to make big announcements. I expect you to get up on that rooftop, tell all this stuff. Listen, there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground outside of the will of the Father. God has you in his hands. You matter to him. He's in control of all things. You do not need to be afraid of anybody in the world who may be against you and what you believe. There's no need for that because what can they do? Is essentially what Jesus, you can read this for yourself, Matthew 10, 26 through 31. What can they do? Do not be afraid of them who can kill the body and not be afraid of the one who made you. Who can destroy both soul and body in hell is what Jesus literally says in verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, the world who brings the persecution. Do not be afraid of them because they cannot kill your soul. They can... They can end your physical life here on earth, but they cannot end your soul. There is one who can. That's God. That's the one we should fear. So he says, don't be afraid. When we experience persecution from the world, we should expect it and we should not be afraid. The second place from which we experience persecution is from our family. Those close to us. He says in Matthew 10, 21, brother will betray brother to death and a father is child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Uh, very challenging words. He says in verse 35 of chapter 10. For I have come to turn man against his father. And daughter against his mother. And daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now Jesus is not stating his intention. So much as he is stating reality. That when you have to say those hard things. When you have to believe and live those hard things. That aren't exactly popular. 
That there could be opposite, there will be opposition, even from within those who are closest to you. That that is very much a real possibility. And you know, this happened to Jesus. Jesus' parents did not always understand who he was, even though they had been told who this son of theirs was. They didn't always get it. In fact, there were times where his family saw how, how crazy people were responding to Jesus because, you know, the whole miracles stuff, you know. People would crowd in on him and he would be so busy he couldn't even eat. And his, and his family, there's a story in the Bible where his family shows up one time and says, he's out of his mind, we've got to rescue him. Even Jesus' own family did not always understand. He had opposition in the face of following after his father's will for his life. And that can happen to us. Jesus' instructions to us in this matter come from 37 through 39. He says, if anyone loves their father or mother more than me, he's not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. We hear that. How do you hear that? That's, that's hard to hear. But if you, if you think about it logically, who made me? I didn't make me. God made me. So if God is my creator, who do I owe my ultimate allegiance to? My family didn't make me. Maybe in a physical sense, but even that is the will of God. That is the order of God. That's how God created things to be. So who, who deserves my ultimate allegiance? And this is a tough one. Because for a lot of us, you know, we got the bumper sticker. Family's everything. We'll put it on Facebook. Family's everything. I don't think we mean it this way, but we could. We could be meaning family literally is everything to me. They matter most to me. So if God says this, but my family wants this, I'm going with my family. And Jesus is saying to us, you owe your Father in Heaven your ultimate allegiance. Even above your most important earthly relationships, you owe God your Father, Creator, your ultimate allegiance. Even above your own family. He says, in that way, whoever finds their life will lose it. In other words, whoever finds salvation in Jesus may lose their life physically. And then he says, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. In other words, whoever is willing to be persecuted, even to the point of losing their life, they have found true life in me. My family cannot give me true life. My family cannot grant me eternal life. So if I have to choose between allegiance to family or allegiance to God, I have to choose God. Or those most closest to me, my most important friends in life, if I had to choose between living a life of sin with them or living a life unto the glory of God, I've, I've got to choose God. Doesn't mean have to be a jerk about it. Doesn't mean have to be rude about it. Doesn't mean have to be hateful about it. In fact, all of that would be exactly the opposite of what Jesus is trying to communicate. But the bottom line is that God, we owe God our ultimate allegiance above even family. So when our family may put pressure on us, our family, we may not feel our, our, our faith is welcome, we don't jettison our, our faith. 
in order to get along with family. Fourth thing. Fourth thing I think we can take away from the instructions of Jesus to his 12 disciples is to remember this, you come with a blessing. Because all this can be hard. It can be hard to hear it. It can be hard to say it. We, we don't want to offend people, but most of us, some, some of you, you know, that's like your love language is being offensive. That's not a good thing. All right, that's not a good thing. Not what I'm talking about. Most of us, we don't want to be offensive. We don't want to be hurtful. We don't want to seem unloving. We, we don't want to be seen as, as uh, bigoted or, or prejudiced in any way if we are simply following the truth of Scripture. We, we don't want that. And so because we don't want that, sometimes we can back off of not only, not, I've already talked about believing the truth, but let me say, sometimes we can back off on, on supporting and sharing the truth in a way that would be honorable and pleasing to God. We will back off on that. Uh, <clears throat> and what Jesus tells us here is that don't forget, when you come to sow that seed, you are coming with a blessing. You are coming with good things in hand. They may receive it, they may reject it, but your intention is to share with them the best news you've ever heard. The only news that can change someone's eternal destination. The news that can tell a broken soul, God cares about you, God sees you, God loves you. To tell someone who's stuck in sin, God can forgive you. To tell someone who's worried about the future, God knows the future. He's there and He's here with you now and He wants you to be with Him forever. You come with a blessing. When you come to share the good news of Jesus, when you come to sow that seed, you come with a blessing. Jesus would say, anyone who welcomes you, welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me, welcomes the one who sent me. That being the Father. Verse 41, whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Reward And even if anyone gives a cold cup of water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not re- lose their reward. When someone hears what you have to say, and they trust the Jesus that you trust, are they not blessed? Are they not eternally blessed? Has not everything in their life suddenly shifted and changed? You come with a blessing. So in the midst of all the challenges of being that seed sower, knowing that you may offend some, remember, you come with a blessing because you have heard the good news of Jesus and there is no greater blessing than to know him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for enlisting us in this work because the truth is you don't need us, but you want to use us. Just as you use these 12 disciples, you want us to be involved in the ministry of sowing seed, of sharing the good news of Jesus with those near and far. Father, I pray that even now you'll be putting on our mind people that we need to be sharing the gospel with. Show us ways in which our, in our lives that our testimony currently is not congruent with the news we believe about Jesus. And help us to more faithfully demonstrate who Jesus is in our lives. 
Father, we want to be a part of what you're doing. Help us to embrace what that means and to find joy in being seed sowers like Jesus. We ask that in his name. Amen.